turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Now the word or the expression that John uses to describe Christ's atoning death, his substitutionary death on the cross, is that John says he is their propitiation for our sins. This is the second time John has said this. And that essentially means that by his death, Christ has fully satisfied the holy wrath of God Almighty against sin. When God looks at, at the death of Christ, he is satisfied. Justice has been dealt with. Justice has been met. God is satisfied. Wow. Because of Christ, God is satisfied. He looks at us, sees Christ, and says, everything that needed to be done to forgive sinners has been done. Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. If he did that for us, then what is too much to ask for us to do for God and for others? How could we say that's too much to ask? There is no one that we shouldn't forgive, no one we shouldn't help, no one we shouldn't love if we really understand what Jesus did for us because he loved us. Do you have that kind of love in you? It's a sign of the work that God is doing in our hearts when we receive Christ as our Savior. This is what we'll be dealing with on Verse by Verse today. We're listening to Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This is the next-to-last message in the series of The Tests of Worldliness. Don't worry if you have missed some of the messages in the series. You can download them or listen to them online or even order the entire series. Stay tuned at the close of today's broadcast, and I'll tell you how you can do that. Now it's time to listen to the Word of God. Here's Pastor Steve. Here's how one Bible teacher explained God's love working in complete harmony with his other attributes. He writes, Love and holiness are not contradictory in God, nor do any of his attributes conflict with love. All that God does is love because he is love. All that God does is holy and pure because he is light. God's love is a holy love, not a blind or indulgent love. God's holiness and justice are not cold and arbitrary. They are loving holiness and loving justice. So when you read in the Old Testament the severity of God, don't think that that's not coming from a heart of love. God's nature is love, and therefore he does love. Now, based on the truth that God by nature is love, John makes a deduction a logical conclusion in the last part of verse 7, an inspired deduction. He says, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What a tremendous truth. What John is very plainly stating here is that the reason that all true Christians love other true Christians is because they're born of God and they know Him in an intimate way. In other words, they have been given God's nature. This nature of love, it dwells within them. 
They have become partakers of the divine nature. That's what it means when the Bible says you're born again. A big theological word for that is regeneration. It means that you have been given his life. Let me show you. I've said this many times, but let me show you 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. This is where we get that statement that we have been given a new nature. That new nature is a divine nature. It is God's nature dwelling in us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is now in the world by lust. Having been saved, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Listen, the only reason that you can love a fellow believer, or anyone for that matter, as God defines love, which is sacrificial and and selfless, is because God has given you His nature. Therefore, you have the capacity to demonstrate supernatural love. You're not in this alone. You're not simply commanded to love. You are given the capacity to love. And this love that God has put within you is not a selective love in the sense that you'll be selective in choosing to love only those Christians who love you back. That's not the way it works. Or those Christians that you personally like or admire. God's love is not restricted to those individuals who are most responsive to him. His love extends to all believers and so must ours. And not because they are deserving of being treated with kindness, respect, and service, but because of the fact that God simply loves them and you have that nature of love within you. So we're not selective. We don't pick and choose who we're going to love. We are to love all believers. But if love for God's people is completely absent from you, I mean it's foreign from you, you're not interested in being around other Christians, you don't like other Christians at all, you have no desire to love them or fellowship with them, you see that they have a need, you're not interested in meeting that need. And notice what John says on the flip side of this about you in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If there is absolutely no love in your heart for Christians and no demonstration of any concern for Christians, and I don't mean that you stumble on occasion, we all do that, but I mean there's absolutely no heart for Christians, then John says you don't know God, meaning you don't have a personal relationship with Him. In other words, you're not saved. And his point is that if there's no love in you, it means that God is not in you. He hasn't given you His nature You've not been born again. You've not been regenerated because God is love. And if you had His nature living in you, then you would be compelled to love just as He is compelled by His nature to love. One of the first things I noticed when I came to faith in Christ as an 18-year-old is that I had a new and a loving attitude towards other people. This was a new attitude. I didn't really care about anybody else but myself very self-focused, and the only people that I tended to treat decently, in a decent manner, was those who treated me in a decent manner. I just uh, 
treated them the way I thought they treated me. But when I was saved, something changed. Something changed. God put his love in me, and I had a a new desire to be kind to others, helpful to others, serving others, regardless of how they treated me. Now, folks, this is the way it's supposed to be with all who are born again, because we've been given a new nature that is no longer dominated, note this, by sinful selfishness. Now, it is true that we struggle with sinful selfishness, but the divine nature compels and drives us to reach out to others with selfless sacrifice. Yes, we struggle, but we're not dominated by selfishness anymore. We have the capacity to say no to ourselves. No, I don't need to turn inward. No, I can love others and do deeds of kindness for others. I've been set free from, from following a sin nature, and now I have a new nature, and I am compelled to follow that new nature. So the next time you're struggling to love that Christian who is really good at irritating you, remember that you have God's nature in you. You have God's nature in you. Just love them by serving them. You can do it. And if you say, well, I can't do it, then you don't understand. You don't understand. You can do it. You have been born again. So the first reason that we are to love other believers is because it is the nature of God to love, and you've been given that same nature. Praise God you have. This is what grace is all about. This is what regeneration entails. There is a second reason that John gives us for loving other believers, and that's because God has displayed his love by Christ's sacrificial death. That's why we love others, and I'll connect the dots in just a moment. But the second reason is that God has displayed his love by Christ's sacrificial death. Verse 9 says this, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Now what John means by this statement is that God, who by nature is love, has preeminently made his love known to us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life. Now, God demonstrates his love to us in a number of ways, but the most preeminent and prominent and significant way that he has displayed his love for us is by coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's love was demonstrated by Christ becoming a man, the incarnation, so that we who were dead in sins might have spiritual life and a relationship with God. Now, that's what John means by verse 9. And how this was accomplished is explained in the next verse, verse 10. In this is love, John says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this one statement, the Apostle John has really captured the very core of the gospel. God has loved us, he says, but not because we loved him first. He's loved us because it is his nature to love, 
And therefore, he has loved us, demonstrated that love for us, by sending his son to die for our sins so that we might be saved and have eternal life. This is really, if you look at Romans chapter 5, this is really what the Apostle Paul taught. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But notice this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's essentially what John is saying here. So I said, there are many manifestations of God's love. But nothing like Christ coming into the world and dying for us. Now the word or the expression that John uses to describe Christ's atoning death, his substitutionary death on the cross, is that John says he is the propitiation for our sins. This is the second time John has said this. And that essentially means that by his death, Christ has fully satisfied the holy wrath of God Almighty against sin. When God looks at at the death of Christ, he is satisfied. Justice has been dealt with. Justice has been met. God is satisfied. Listen to these words by John MacArthur from his book, The Love of God, as he explains the depth of meaning behind the Apostle John's words about God's love in sending Christ to die for us. It's a rather lengthy quote, but it's a good one. So listen. This is the very heart of the gospel. The good news is not that God is willing to overlook sin and forgive sinners. That would compromise God's holiness. That would leave justice unfulfilled. That would trample on true righteousness. Furthermore, that would not be love on God's part But apathy, let me stop here and say there are many people who don't understand that. They think that God can just arbitrarily forgive because that's what they want. But that's not the gospel. That would compromise God's holiness. Justice has to be met. I continue. MacArthur writes, The real good news is that God himself, through the sacrifice of his son, paid the price of sin. He took the initiative, get that, he took the initiative, not that we love God, but that he loved us. God took the initiative. He was not responding to anything in sinners that made them worthy of his grace. On the contrary, his love was altogether undeserved by sinful humanity. The sinners for whom Christ died were worthy of nothing but his wrath. As Paul wrote, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And let me stop here and comment. God made the first move. There was nothing in us that God said is so lovely that he'll reach out in love to us. We love him only because he first loved us. No man seeks after God. God is the one who did the seeking. I continue. 
Because God is righteous, he must punish sin. He cannot simply absolve guilt and leave justice unsatisfied. But the death of Christ totally satisfied God's justice, his righteousness, and his holy hatred of sin. MacArthur continues, now some people might recoil at the thought of an innocent victim making atonement for guilty sinners. They like the idea that people should pay for their own sins, but take away this doctrine of substitutionary atonement and you have no gospel at all. If the death of Christ was anything less than than a guilt offering for sinners, no one could ever be saved. But in Christ's death on the cross, there is the highest possible expression of divine love. He who is love sends his precious son to die as an atonement for sin. He writes, if your sense of fair play is outraged by that, good. It ought to be shocking. It ought to be astonishing. It ought to stagger you. Think it through and you'll begin to get a picture of the enormity of the price God paid to manifest his love. End of quote. What a magnificent quote. What a magnificent truth. So what we learn from the Apostle John is that God, who is by nature love, has demonstrated his love for us by taking the initiative in sending Christ to die as a sacrificial guilt offering for us. Now, why did John tell us this? What's his point? What's his purpose? How does this relate to us loving the brethren? John tells us how this affects us, and this is really the point of these verses, as he explains in the next verse, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What a great truth. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, John's purpose in telling us about how God loved us is to motivate us, to motivate us to follow his example by demonstrating the same type of sacrificial and selfless love for our fellow believers. That's the point. In other words, if this is the way that God has displayed his love for us by being so unselfish as to send his only begotten treasure of a son, and notice he says it is his son, his only begotten son, his treasure into the world to die for us, then how can we ever be selfish with God's people? Folks, that is the point. This is really a reiteration of what John said back in chapter 3, verse 16. Look at that. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, it is... It is an understanding of God's love in sending Christ that delivers us from a life of being self-centered. We are to be imitators of God. This is our motivation for being loving and kind to other believers because we have been treated with such loving kindness by God himself. So we are to love others before they show us any love. We are to take the initiative. We are to be kind. We are to be sacrificial. We are to give of our time, our resources, our energy, our ears to listen to others as they unload on us and share with us their problems. It's an understanding of how undeserving 
of God's love and salvation that we really are, that that's what will drive you to show love to others who are just as undeserving of that love and of your love. See, we don't treat people well because they deserve to be treated well. We treat them well because God has treated us well. He's our model. He's our example. He's the one who motivates us. So if you are finding it difficult these days to love someone, then take these truths that we've studied and meditate on them. Absorb them into your life. We love God's people because God's nature is love. And that nature of love is our nature. It's not abstract. It's our nature. Your actions are really dictated by your nature. And since your nature is to love, then you can and you will love, even if at times you fail. Secondly, we love God's people because God has loved us and has proven and demonstrated his love by the sacrifice of his own beloved Son, And so we love in the same manner we do deeds for other Christians that are sacrificial and selfless and that cost us something. Now, when we study 1 John, again, we're going to see a third reason that we ought to love others. But if all of this is very strange sounding to you, you have no heart, as I said before, for Christians, no real understanding of the meaning of Christ's death and how it relates to your every day, daily life, then I urge you to consider, consider talking to one of our pastors, one of our elders, who can explain the cross to you, how the cross, an understanding of the cross of Christ, can change your life and your eternal destiny. An understanding of that and your response to it and your life will be changed forever. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for these precious truths. Help us, Lord, to love the unlovely. Thank you that you have loved us and we're unlovely. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for giving us your nature. Help us to really, to really take that to heart. I pray that'll grip us, Lord, that living the Christian life is not something outside of us. It starts within us. We have been given a divine nature. We have been transformed by grace. We have been born again. May we grasp it. May we love it. May we live it. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to demonstrate your love, shed abroad in our hearts to other people, and help us, Lord, to remember how much we've been loved the model that you sent as the Father, your only begotten treasure of a son, priceless. Help us, Lord, to love others like that, to give, to keep giving, to lay down our lives for the brethren. Lord, we live in a heartless world, a cruel world, a world where most are into only themselves and that carries over into the Christian community. So help us here at Lakeside to be different, to have time for other people, to have ears to hear, to really take an interest, to spend our money to help others, to give away what we have for the sake of meeting the needs of others. May we be a shining light in a dark world. And I pray for those here who may not know Christ, that Lord, may you capture their hearts for you 
May you put it within their their minds to have a desire to learn more of the gospel and to finally come to faith in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We don't love people simply because we are supposed to. We should love people because we have been given God's nature, which is love. I realize that our selfishness rears its ugly head and keeps us from loving like we ought to. But if we are God's children, we will love God and love others because of who we have become in Christ. I hope today's message has been a blessing to you. If you would like some help understanding what we're talking about, or just need someone to pray with you, give us a call at 727-239-0306. You can also contact us through our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. That's where you can go to listen to messages and download them, not just the ones for this series. You can even order a whole series of messages on CDs if you would rather have them in that format. You can do that on the website, or you can write us at Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Maybe you would consider giving a financial gift to support this ministry also. Thanks for joining us today. For everyone at Verse by Verse, I'm Jerry Pruden, and I'm looking forward to being with you again on our next broadcast. Broadcast.